Publisher Podcast, episode 39. This episode's going to blow your mind if you're looking for ways to fund your book before you launch, before you do anything, obviously. Um, Most of you know by now, if you're in the process of researching all the things you have to do, that self-publishing a book, marketing a book can be very expensive, especially if you are doing something super creative that requires photography or um, lots of illustrations or anything along those lines. So my guest today, Christy Carlson, is a rock star at two things in particular. One, creating a Kickstarter campaign that absolutely blew my mind when I heard about it and how successful successful she was. And also um, really honing in on finding her target audience and secondary audience so that she could reach out to those people, especially journalists and others who she knew could have a great Um, expansive reach in helping her market her book, how to contact those people, how to find them, what to do with them, all of those types of things. So this this, um, episode is really going to be interesting to you, especially if you're a fan of the Gilmore Girls, because she published a book, the Gilmore Girls Cookbook, that's not the actual title, but um, a cookbook of all the wonderful things that they created and ate and drank throughout the many years of production of the show. So she talks a little bit about the Gilmore Girls. She talks a lot about how she reached out to folks in the media to help her uh, share the news about her Kickstarter and her book and her entire process. This is such a phenomenal wealth of information around funding your book and finding the right people to help you talk about it and spread the word. You are just going to love this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Because I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't it. I'm Alexa Bigwarp. I'm just having such an amazing time interviewing all these incredible women and getting all of their great, wonderful tools and tips and advice on all the elements from writing, publishing, cover design, interior design, marketing books, uh, fears, mindset, all these things that we are covering to help women in their journey, no matter where they are with writing, publishing, and selling their books. Today's interview is going to be a lot of fun, especially for all the women in my age range who were Gilmore Girls fans. If that identifies you, (laughs) you're going to love this. If it doesn't identify you, stick around with us anyway. This is so much great um, information. And I know this because I have seen Christy Carlson speak before. She was a, a keynote speaker at Digital Book World, which I had the the joy of attending in October of this last year. And she is the author of um, her first book, Eat Like a Gilmore, and then a second book that has come out. Let me read her bio really quickly so I don't leave out any key details. In 2015, Christy Carlson left her middle management career to live a more creative, project-based life soon after she launched a successful Kickstarter campaign in order to become the author of Eat Like a Gilmore, a cookbook for fans of Gilmore Girls. Published via Skyhorse Publishing, the book became a number one bestseller on Amazon. The follow-up book, Eat Like a Gilmore, Daily Cravings, was released November 2018. She lives in Burbank, California with her husband and their two orange cats. Welcome, Christy. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. I'm so glad that you accepted my invite because I was totally fangirling over you at the uh, event. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, she's going to think I am so weird. <laughs> no way. No, I didn't. Well, it's great to have you. I was so impressed by your presentation um, because it covered so many really, really, really interesting facets that I think a lot of of new authors um, struggle with, being largely raising the funds, um, marketing, all the things. Um, And and your presentation was just amazing. So I just, I would like to start. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I would like to start with just allowing you the opportunity to explain what your book is, how you got started, and then we'll dig into the to the meat of all these other great topics. Sure, 
Sure. Um, I am a first-time author. My first book is called Eat Like a Gilmore. It's, a, I guess you would classify it as a fan cookbook, and it's based on the show Gilmore Girls. Um, you know, Gilmore Girls came out in the year 2000. I fell in love with it instantly and started watching it every week on Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, <laughs> until it went off the air in 2007. And for anyone who's seen the show, you already know this, but for folks who haven't, the show, like one of its major characters is food. There's a, there's a professional chef on the show, there's a diner owner on the show, and the two main characters, they eat like bottomless pits. So <laughs> food, there's food, 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 and I love food. So watching it all of those years, I thought I... I, I want to eat this food. Like, why are they eating this food? And I don't get to, I want to try it myself. And they had a number of unique things that I had never heard of before, like mock turtle soup and um, macaroni and cheese and a jalapeno chipotle cream sauce and all of these things that sounded just excellent that I had never tried. So I, I was hoping Warner Brothers was going to come out with a cookbook for like, 15 years I was hoping this and then they, it never happened. So I decided I would do it myself. And, uh, and it's a fan cookbook. It's not associated with the show. It's not associated with Warner brothers. It's totally unofficial, but um, I just was going to do it for me. And then my husband suggested, well, there's, if you want this, there's probably other fans out there who want one. So why don't you sort of test the waters? And, um, I'm a big follower of Tim Ferriss, if you've ever heard of him, the four-hour workweek writer, author, and his, his main point that I take to heart the most, I think, is so many times we just get an idea and we move forward with it and we haven't, we haven't tested it at all. So we move forward with it, we put all of our time, effort, money into it, and then it comes out and nobody wants it and we're shocked. Like, why did I do all of this? So his point is test your market first. So before I went to all this trouble of writing a book for other fans, I decided to see maybe some other fans want it. Maybe they don't. I don't know. So I started a Facebook page for the cookbook. I, I spent 25 bucks advertising it. And I said, if in the next 24 hours I get 100 people that like this page, if 100 people like this page in the next 24 hours based on my 25 bucks, then I'll know that I have something that other people want. So I launched the page, I put my money up there on the ad, and within a couple of hours, I had way over 100 people. It didn't even take three or four hours. So I shut down the ad, I think it cost me eight bucks altogether. But at least then I knew I had some sort of basis to know there are other people who are interested in this book, not just me. And that's when I decided to, I started taking down all the recipes, putting, sort of putting my structure together. And um, I, I figured out by calling some printers that it was going to be very expensive to print the books. But I didn't want an online cookbook. That's just not my aesthetic. And I figured that if I was like that, other people were like that too. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to do a Kickstarter, raise the money. If people really want it, they'll just be pre-ordering it, really. And it'll pay for the printing. And so the, the thing that I didn't realize was that I was in the midst of this massive pr press, like, frenzy about Gilmore Girls because I'm like scooting along on my little own timeline and meanwhile sort of on a parallel track is the revival right. and so right in the midst of me doing all of this stuff they announce the revival and then everyone wants news about Gilmore Girls it's like a feeding frenzy for folks who've been waiting for it for so many years that every press outlet is dying for any bit of news they can find about the show. And so the fact that some fan is coming out with a cookbook was something that they all wanted to pick up immediately. So my Kickstarter had been out for like a week when all of a sudden it just blew up in the press. Buzz, BuzzFeed ran an article and this incredible article that, written by Christy Lee Andoli, who is just so wonderful. I've gotten to know her since then, but I didn't know her at the time. It was just some fellow fan who worked for BuzzFeed 
wrote the article, and then within like 48 hours, it was in Vogue and Food and Wine and Teen, um, Teen Vogue and E! News and Entertainment Weekly and all of these places had picked up the story. And so that sent my Kickstarter through the roof. And my original goal was $20,000. By the time all the press was, had run its course, I had raised almost $50,000 to make the book. So, and I had 1,200 lovely, lovely fans who had pledged toward the book. And so I thought, okay, I'm doing this for these 1,200 people. This is incredible that I was able to find these people. And, and I thought that was my audience, that I was going to print, you know, maybe 2,000 books. And, and then a couple weeks later, a publisher reached out to me and said, we see the buzz your book has gotten. We see how much people want it. We want to work with you. And there were actually there were two or three, and I chose Skyhorse because they're independent. Mm -hmm. I've always worked on the music side of my life. I've always worked with independent folks, and I really enjoy it. And so I chose Skyhorse, and they have been great through this whole process. But just from my little one little seedling of an idea to I want this food, sort of once I moved in that direction, once I forcefully said I'm going to do this, then somehow magically the pieces kind of fell together. And I feel like that happens with most projects. When you really say, I'm going to do this, sort of the universe helps you along, you know? It was, it was well, fun. The universe helped you in a big, bad way. Really? I mean, that is such amazing timing. It's like, who could have ever predicted that? It was amazing timing. Incredible. Um, well, let's back up if you don't mind and let's break down a few more. Uh, let's break this down because you've talked about some really, really incredible and insightful things. Um, let's start with your idea to test the market. I think that was super smart. And I, I would agree with you that I think a lot of people don't consider that factor at the beginning. Absolutely. They think, I have a great book idea. I'm going to write this book. And they don't ever think right. anybody wants it, um, which leads to a lot of pain and sorrow on launch day when nobody comes to buy the book. A hundred percent. Yes. So I, I just, I wanted to, you know, if you want to expand on that, you can, but I think it was a great idea if, if Facebook, and, and we, we tend to know from just watching how social media has worked, that a lot of people who are fan followers of shows and things like that, like they will, they'll follow anything. They'll eat anything up if they're a true fan. So if anybody right. is thinking about writing a book based on some type of fan fiction, whether it's a movie, like if you wanted to do something, I mean, you know training tactics from the hunger games or whatever you know, right, like, right. but you find the people that are interested in that so i think that's great um do you want to share any more about how you did that or um uh, for somebody who's trying to write a book and don't know how to find their audience do you have any tips on on that uh, yes i do my my and some of this I knew ahead of time, but a lot of it is hindsight. One, the one thing I think that was key for me is that, yes, it was a Gilmore Girls cookbook, but it was also people who like to cook. Mm -hmm. My book doesn't appeal to every Gilmore Girls fan. It only appeals to fans who like to cook or are interested in learning to cook and like to eat. So a lot of people come to me and they, who are fans and they say, this book is such a joke. The girl, the Gilmore girls don't cook. And I was like, no, they don't cook, but I cook. And I, you know, so there are other fans like me who do cook. Mm -hmm. So I'm not appealing to every Gilmore girls fan. I am appealing to a, a smaller audience. And I guess that's what you would call a deep niche. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, so many people that I talk to, they, and I've been this way in the past myself, they want to create something that appeals to the broadest audience possible, like people who like dogs or people who like California or, you know, something very, very broad right. and thinking, which is kind of makes sense thinking the more people who like this, the more people will like my book. But the fact is when you're independent, there's no money to reach those people. So, 
and, and a lot of authors I'm finding promote their own book, even if they aren't independent and that comes out of their own, you know, cash. So, um, the, with the, to be strategic with the money, the marketing budget, it's far so much easier to have what I would call a deep niche. And to me, a deep niche is, you know, not only am I, appealing to Gilmore Girls, but Gilmore Girls Who Cook. So I'm taking this pretty large audience, which is probably about 15 million people, and I'm, I'm drilling it down to maybe 4 million people, maybe 3 million people. <clears throat> I can reach 3 or 4 million people so much easier than I can reach 14 million people, 15 million people. The, you know, it would be even better if I could find a way to reach 250,000 people because I can reach them with my budget. Mm -hmm. So the deep niche to me is really, I don't think I'll ever do another project without it appealing to a deep niche because it's been so much easier. The other thing is that when you appeal to a deep niche like that, you, I have found so many like-minded people. It's one thing if someone's a Gilmore Girls fan, and I'm a Gilmore Girls fan, but if they're a Gilmore Girls fan and they like to cook and they like cookbooks and they support Kickstarters, like suddenly I'm finding it's kind of like online dating, but for friends, you know, you find someone who has more and more and more of your interests and suddenly you look at them and you think, I really like you. Like you're, you know, we have so many things in common all of a sudden that I've made so many friends just by doing this project because we're sort of like-minded people. So it has this, it has, it works on so, it has so many benefits, works on so many levels and I'll never do another project where I try to appeal to everyone unless I have major, major budget behind me. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And, and I do see this a lot when I ask people, who is your book for? They'll be like women. And I'm like, <laughs> and how are you going to reach all these women? You know, so that's really, really, really an important thing to do that people should really spend some time. I mean, I understand you get passionate about a project, you get passionate ab about a book. A lot of people's natural instinct is to just zoom right into it. But um, it, it really, really is important if you actually want to sell the books to, to do that deep niche um, investigation. I just, I think it was so smart of you. And, and I mean, so much foresight to say, okay, I'm just going to see if people even like, I'm just going to toss this idea out there and see how right. people respond. And I'm glad it was so successful. One of the questions when I, uh, that I received from someone when I posted that I was going to be doing this interview was... Yes. Did you have to have any, and, and this is obviously going to be for anybody who's trying to write a book that's based off of something that's already created, a TV show, a movie, or anything like this. Did you have to have any kind of special rights or permission to use the word, the name Gilmore or anything like that to do a fan book? Well, you know, I, I originally when, when, I wanted to write the book. I wanted to license it from Warner Brothers. So I reached out to Warner Brothers. The rest the very first thing I did was reach out to Warner Brothers. And um, they got back to me saying that they did not want to be involved, mm -hmm. which I don't blame them. I am, I was an untried, you know, they didn't know me from anyone. And <clears throat> who's this nutty fan who wants to write a book? So, um, so then I wrote back to them and I said, okay, I, I really want to do this. I think other people really want it. This is over the course of months. You know, it's not a, a couple days process, but over the course of months, I said, I really want to do this. A lot of people really want it and I really want it. And so I'm going to move forward with it as a fan project. Mm -hmm. And so I will take out of it. Um, there won't be any photos from the show, no quotes from the show. You know, basically their copyright property, I guess, their intellectual property. And so really the only thing in the book that is, is theirs are the names of the characters mm -hmm. and uh, Gilmore on the title. Mm -hmm. And so through a course of correspondence, we, we wound up with, my book has uh, disclaimers on it, on the front on the it says unofficial on the front there's a disclaimer disclaimer on the inner cover 
our first couple of pages, there's a disclaimer on the back cover. Both of my books have those. Mm -hmm. And it's just to make people aware mm -hmm. in case there's any doubt. And that's also why my face is on the front so that you can tell it's not Lorelei or Rory or something like that. This is just a fan project. And, um, but I did have to hire an attorney mm -hmm. and go through months of back and forth. So it's not a clean, easy process, but it is, it, it's not insurmountable either. Right. It's definitely something you can work through. Which kind of, kind of leads us to the next um, line of topic here or questioning, and that is um, the funding. And, you know, um, many people will just move forward with their books without considering funding or all of those types of things. What, mm -hmm. At what point did you, why did you decide to do a Kickstarter? How did that process get rolling? And then um, what types of things did you need funding for? And what should people expect for funding if they're trying to do, in, in your case, or any type of book where you're going to be spending money to, to, to actually create the book? Right. More than just um, publishing costs. You were going to be creating recipes. So, and you know. Right. A cookbook's sort of its own thing because you do have to pay for the food, the photos, all of those things. Um, I, I wanted to launch a Kickstarter <clears throat> partly to raise the money and partly to also really prove to myself that there was an audience beyond, beyond those first 100, 200 people. So <clears throat> I launched it and I got some benefits out of it that I didn't really anticipate. I couldn't, I didn't know that this would happen, but you know, Kickstarter, when you read about how to launch a successful Kickstarter, they'll tell you, get, get your supporters involved in the project. Mm -hmm. And so I took that to heart and I had a couple of, um, a couple of rewards on, on my Kickstarter where people could actually get involved with making the book. Folks could, um, they could contribute a recipe. I had two people who contributed entire sections to the book. I had feature sections, one on coffee, one on cakes. And, and so people could really get involved. And what it became, and it was so amazing for, for the book because Stars Hollow is so much about the, the people of Stars Hollow and the community of it and all of the different characters coming together to form this little tight knit social circle that the fact that my book suddenly had all of these people, all of these fans coming together to create the book was very poetic, I thought. And so I really appreciated that, that the Kickstarter brought that element to the book that I hadn't really planned on, but it, it worked beautifully. And as far as money, the Kickstarter, I, I realized that I needed to pay for printing. I thought I had to pay for printing. I needed to pay for photography, ingredients, props, um, a designer to create the whole book for me. And so some of those things are big ticket items. Like I, um, I contacted one, one photographer, food photographer, who wanted $50,000 just to photograph. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so fortunately, I was able to strike a deal with um, Bonnie Matthews, who did the photos in the first book, and she did it, I think, for well, substantially less than that, like $14,000 or something like that. So it is still very expensive right. to, to have a photographer. And then graphic design, I think that was probably another $8,000, um, but Brian did a great job. He did the whole cover, all of the pages inside, all of the text and the fonts and the color treatments to things and the positioning of the recipes on the pages. And he did some photography um, manipulation after the fact to make sure they all blended with the look of the book. And so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that's not just me in the kitchen. I mean, an ingredients probably cost me about $8,000 just to buy the food. Because, you know, there's certain things that hardly cost anything because it's just flour and sugar and some butter. Right. But then the Gilmores eat squab. And, um, like, what is that? It's a pigeon that you have to go down to the farmer's market and pay, you know, a pretty substantial premium to buy. And I didn't make it right the first time. So that meant I had to go back and make it again and buy more squab. So 
ingredients in making a cookbook can be uh, costly. Well, and this is something that you talked about when you gave your presentation that you haven't mentioned here yet is that, and anybody who's a huge fan of the show will know this, they talk about these recipes and talk about what they're eating, but they never um, actually talked about the ingredients. So you were like having to like create, right. like figure out the recipes and create it. So you had trial and error involved as well. I had a lot of trial and error. Plus, you know, I'll write recipes for myself, but I'm not a professional by any stretch. So yeah, it, it was a, it was, um, it was a learning curve. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the things they were very detailed about what was in it, like the Rory cocktail there, you know, I, it's grenadine and pineapple juice, and they listed all the things that were in there. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to something like Founders Day Punch, all you know is that if you drink too much of it, you're going to be flat on the ground. So, <laughs> um, so that just, you know what color it is, you know what it looks like. So that helps a, a lot, actually. And you know, you just sort of put ingredients together until you get that result, and it tastes good, and then you're good. I mean, how fun. And I just want to take a moment to say that like for, for a book like this, that truly becomes like your job. I mean, you can't right. like you're doing this, you are going out and finding the recipes, putting them together, creating them, getting all the pictures, doing all these things. Like I think it's really, a, the funding is a massive, a massive part of it because yes. you know, to have the time and the resources to do it, you have to have that money. Um, with the Kickstarter, do you have any advice that you can offer to people who are never done a Kickstarter before? Like what, what really helped you make it successful? Um, well, like I said, I did a number of, I, I did, I looked at a number of different elements of the Kickstarter and then read about what people were saying online, like uh, to make a video, this is what you need to do to be successful To the rewards that you offer. So like I mentioned about the rewards, I got people involved. The video I would say is probably the number one thing that can make or break your Kickstarter. And I have, um, and I don't have this list in front of me, I should have, but there are seven, seven elements that I sort of pieced together from listening to other people and, and reading what they had written and watching their videos that, that will really make a video successful on Kickstarter. And um, what are those seven things? I don't even know. But a video that's, I mean, well-filmed, I would guess is better than. <laughs> yeah, a good video that, you know, you want to, what you want to do, and this is basic marketing, but I didn't know it before this, is you want to, create a need, like have people understand why is this needed? And then you want to explain how your product or your campaign is going to fulfill the need. And then you want to, um, you want to tell people like, why me? You want to build people's faith in you. So what are your credentials? What, what are the things that you've done in your past? What's your experience? to make people trust you and think, okay, yes, I have this need. Yes, this product could fill the need, but who is this person that's going to do it? Why do I trust her? And then you need to add um, music is very critical part of a video. And something a little wacky, you know, like, because people are bombarded with things on Facebook and the news and LinkedIn and Instagram. And, and so to get people's attention can be really difficult sometimes. And so if your video is just you like staring at the screen and there's nothing interesting about it, then the chance they're going to click off and move on to something else is pretty high. But if you, and I would say, don't be afraid to just be silly. Like my, my first video, I look like an idiot, really. So, and I was okay with that because I knew that people would be like, what is this? I got to keep watching this. And that's what I wanted. It wasn't about me looking pretty. It was about me capturing and keeping people's attention. Yeah. And 
So that was probably the key thing. The other part of, how many is that, five? Um, <clears throat> having in the end some way to, for folks to get involved, letting them know in your video you can get involved in this project um, is, is very key. And I kept that at the end of my, that was at the end of my video, but um, it didn't really matter because the seventh item, I remember them all, is, um, is to have it at two minutes or less. Don't have a five minute video, a 10 minute video, seven minutes, two minutes. And I'm so sold on this idea that for my second, I did a second Kickstarter just to get people involved. And for my second Kickstarter, my video was two minutes and like 12 seconds or something. And I just speed it up because just, so we just sped up the whole video so that it would make that two minute mark because I'm just stuck on the two minute idea. It's true though, people lose attention span quickly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that's fantastic. And it's, it, it's another, obviously another testament to how, how much people wanted the project that they were able to not only, you know, get involved, but get super involved. And to raise $50,000 on a Kickstarter is nothing to sneeze about, as we I say. I mean, that's, that's huge. And it's, but I don't want people to, um, misunderstand like how much work that is like you worked to get that i'm sure very hard <laughs> uh, yeah well that's what the other thing i tell folks is that when you launch a kickstarter you're working around the clock the entire time it's active and i i tend to i prefer to launch my kickstarters on a monday morning um very early well i'm in california so 5 a.m. my time is 8 a.m. in New York, and so that's when I tend to launch it, um, and prefer to launch it, and then I have it end on Saturday. And my thinking there is that if I'm close to my goal, but I haven't reached it yet, all my friends are home on Saturday that I can call them and say, hey, I need you know 10 more bucks, or give me 50 bucks, or I'll pay you back later, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, that's just my own little thing, but 30 days, you know, some people say I want to do 60 days and I think there's no way 30 days of working every single day. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking about it from the moment you wake up until midnight when you go to bed, yeah. how am I going to get this money? How am I going to get this money? Yeah. Granted, I didn't have that thought once all the press took off, but my first week I didn't know where I was getting this money. So I had a daily goal and I had a little tote board in my living room and that I would update. And every morning I had to wake up and think, what's my strategy today? How am I going to get this money today? Who am I going to reach out to? Yeah. Um, you know, so many folks I talk to about their Kickstarter, they, they think that having a Kickstarter means you just put it up on Kickstarter and they're completely missing the promotion aspect of it. And I think to myself, that is the number one aspect of a Kickstarter is the promotion. The video is probably number one, maybe promotion is number two, but I think promotion is something that needs to be strategized and, and thought through very, way before the actual campaign is launched. Um, one of the things that I did, actually that I did for both my Kickstarters is I, re I found journalists who had written about Gilmore Girls in the last three to six months. Mm -hmm. And I just Googled articles about Gilmore Girls and figured out who wrote this article. And then I sort of did some detective work online. A lot of journalists will have either a Twitter account or an Instagram account that they tag, or they'll just have a full website that you can find all of their work and an email address. And so I got in touch with all of these journalists and said, hey, I'm gonna launch this Kickstarter. Kickstarter gives you a behind the scenes link. So you can load all of your elements, your video and your rewards and everything onto the site without launching your campaign. They'll, they'll give you as long as you want. Like it can sit there for a month if you want it to before you launch. And they give you a link so you can send it behind the scenes to anyone you want to be able to, to see it. And so I sent that to all the journalists like, um, here's my can I really loved your article that and I was sincere I only pick articles I really liked I wrote them a, a, a first paragraph that was all about their article what I liked about it specific points that I wanted to talk about with them and then I waited until the second paragraph to talk about me 
and my project and said, you might be interested in this. I invite you to look it through. If it's interesting to you, I would love it if you would cover it. And that was it. And I sent that to probably 30 journalists. And um, from there, I started to get, before the BuzzFeed article, I think I got like three to five people who actually I had written to who did post press. It's hard for me to tell because of what happened, yeah. how successful that was, but I did start to get some press prior to the BuzzFeed. Yeah, so that was incredible. So that was one of the journalists that had written about Gil Gilmore Girls. So you reached out to her, the same thing, and she wrote a BuzzFeed article. And then what, ha what was the next... What you kind of talked about a bit more details, please. <laughs> um, she wrote an article that was, that's still out there. It's a BuzzFeed about, there's a Gilmore Girls cookbook coming from March of 2016. If you want to see it, it's an excellent art. I couldn't have asked, like if I had written it myself, it wouldn't have been that good. <laughs> she took screenshots, in part of my Kickstarter video, I'm wearing different costumes from the show. Oh, fine. So I've dressed up, you know, like a Trekkie or something. I've dressed up. Um, wearing a Suki outfit and a Lorelei outfit and an Emily outfit and a Rory outfit and a Luke outfit. And she took screenshots of all of those and then she put me next to the person from the show that I was dressing up like throughout the whole article and talked about the cookbook, talked about the Kickstarter. And it was a beautiful piece of press. And I, I just adore her to this day for writing that article, but it is what sort of started the the frenzy of press. And uh, the I have a friend who says that he doesn't believe anything until it's in people, and <laughs> and so I got to call him that day, and I and I sent it. I said I said I'm sending you a link right now, and it was a link to the article about my Kickstarter in people. So. It's something I never anticipated would happen in my lifetime. But what I learned from it is that when you have a project coming out, if you can have it timed with something that's happening in the world that people are writing about, you can sort of draft off of that promotion with your project. So for instance, um, all this political stuff that's going on right now, you'll notice tons of people are coming out with books right. about this political process. And those books are doing really well because it's what's on the mind of Americans right now. Mm -hmm. So if you pick something else that's coming up, um, like if, if, I mean, I'm just going to spitball here, but if the World Cup is coming up and you are really into that sport and you know if you have some thing that you would like to create based around that sport i would do it right as the world cup is coming up because that's what people are interested in at that time mm -hmm. and that's what because people are interested in it that's what the journalists are writing about at that time so um sort of timing the press cycle it can be difficult it's it's not a science um a lot of it's luck but but if you sort of keep mindful of that, that that's a possibility, it, it gives you a much better chance of having that luck yeah. than if you just put something out at a random time. And one, th one thing I would say about that too, when, with the mention of luck, um, I've done a lot of work as a freelance writer and um, sometimes I'll send out something and a year will go by and an editor will reach out to me and say, hey, um, can we use this piece now or are you still interested in writing on this topic or something like that too? So you can, you can, even if it's not something that's currently being talked about, you can reach out to appropriate magazines or, or outlets that would talk about something like this. Cause my, right. my question to you was going to be, do you think you would have still had the same success if they weren't relaunching the show? But I think just based on how much um, you've talked about, all the proactiveness that you took I think yes I think you could have still created um maybe not to the same level I don't know what's your what's your feeling on it it's hard to say because I feel like so many people I talked to really wanted this book for a long time uh -huh. but by the same token I would have never been able to reach the same number of people if I was just advertising on my own 
So I think I think I would have had success. I don't think I would have come near the level of success that I reached. And something interesting that I'm sort of grappling with right now is that my second book came out and has it's done well, but it hasn't done as well as the first book. And so um, what do I do about that? Mm-hmm. And I, there's another book that came out, uh, I think in 2017, and it's a gentleman who wrote a book that's kind of a fan. It is a fan cookbook, but it's a fan of several different shows and movies. Mm-hmm. And, and so I watch these books, how they do when they come out, just out of no wanting to know the market, what's happening. And his book, when it first came out, it didn't do very well. And I mean, it did okay, but it didn't do very well. And um, then he started a YouTube channel where he started to cook not only the items that are in his book, but also items from other shows and movies. And he's very, um, they're great videos. And he really shows you how to make the items. You know, they're high quality, edited well, the like, you know, they're professional looking videos. And he is very diligent about getting them out once a week. So you, it's kind of like watching a television show every week on this day at this time, I tune in and I watch my cooking show that is this guy that wrote this book. And since then, his book has been in the top 2,500 books on Amazon every single week. So that's what I'm looking at that I'm, I'm thinking I'm, that's what I'm going to do is, and plus the other part of it is that I have a number of folks who, you know, so many Gilmore Girls fans are young women who don't really cook, haven't really cooked, but they want to cook. And so having a cookbook is one thing, but being able to watch someone prepare thing, something helps so much more in the learning process. So between the sales aspect and the, the, um, the teaching, help, helping folks to learn how to cook, I think it's really my next move is to start on a YouTube channel and just cook through the books and see, see how it goes. But I think the important thing to that to me is that it, it's exactly what you just said. Even if your book comes out and it doesn't do well, I know publishers want things to do really well in the first 90 days, but that doesn't mean that it can't do well somewhere down the road. Right. That's it can. That's very true. Um, well, I just, I think it's fantastic. And I think just to um, recap a little bit, a couple of things that are super key for anyone listening. One, you may not have the massive uh, media blitz surrounding it but there's still a lot of things that you can do and I would guess that even if the Gilmore Girls weren't didn't have another season coming out I would guess you probably still could have found bloggers and other writers who wrote about the show or there would have been plenty of opportunities with that same research to go out and find fans who would have helped you as well so you know i don't want anyone to think oh well i can't do that because the show that i want to do about or the thing the subject i want to do about isn't going to have this massive blow up and the other thing i'd say is that you never know when something is going to blow up in the news right you you never know so you know know. prepared and be looking and um if do you have i want to ask you another question that's more about the the publishing side, but do you have any more tips for people um, on marketing and media and how to do that before we move on to the publishing side? Um, The only other thing that worked for me is I started my Instagram page very early on, long before the book, long before the Kickstarter. And I, I partnered up with all, I got to know pretty much all of the big Gilmore Girls fan page people. I, so between the Instagram Um, the groups that were on Facebook. I got to know folks in the groups. I just sort of made friends. You know, when you go out and you make friends with people who you know have a large audience of the people you need to reach, and they're going to make friends with you anyway because you like the same things. So you have an an opening line, and um, that helped a lot. I would say that that's the only other thing I haven't mentioned is just 
just sort of creating a presence for your product on, on social media first, long before anything else. Great. So I did want to, just before we wrap things up, ask you about the publishing. Um, okay. We were originally going to self-publish, and then you said that once the buzz started going around, Sky or several publishers reached out to you, and you chose Skyhorse. Did you choose to publish <clears throat> a second book through them, or did you independently publish? And um, do you have any any tips on that if there's someone who's really diehard like want to publish through a publisher like maybe things you've learned that you would do differently or i don't know <laughs> uh. um i did publish through skyhorse the second time and i you know i'm very careful to weigh my options every time i do something mm -hmm. and self-publishing is definitely attractive right now and and thank goodness it is because it opened up the whole industry yeah. Um, and I, I like working with Skyhorse and this is, this is sort of the decision I had to come to is, do I want to be an, an author or do I want to be a publisher? That's good. And the, the answer was, I want to be an author. So the, I gave up a little bit of money mm -hmm. to have a lot of time mm -hmm. to do the things I want to do as an author and let Skyhorse do what they do best, which is publishing. Mm -hmm. And not everyone makes that choice. I might not make that choice in the future, but for these two projects, it was the right choice. And it, it you know, I, because of the Kickstarter, I have to ship things myself anyway, hundreds of books once they come to me because I have to sign them and put little goodies in the box and things like that. And it is a grind. Like it is really taxing to ship, 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 ship. And maybe you find a distributor who does that for you, but you're still having to coordinate the full effort. All of that, you're still the CEO of your publishing entity. And I really didn't want to be in that business. I think that's a, a very, a very good distinguishing point because when, when you do self-publish, you do have to learn all the things and manage all the things. And, um, and it is great to have someone else take on that role. Um, yes. and, and it's also an interesting point that one thing that I want to point out is that it was because of the buzz, like you could have spent years pitching publishers, trying oh, to get somebody yeah. interested in it. And the reality is most of them don't want something that may not pay off, just like Warner Brothers. Like they didn't want to be involved because they didn't know. But right. once publishers see, okay, this is taking off. I mean, look how much people are willing to invest just in the creation of this book. Right. Um, makes a big difference. So I think it's also important to set, to set realistic expectations for people that, um, you know, you're not just going to reach out and say, hey, I'm writing a book about whatever and and them be excited and jump on board that's a great point you know they they even said to me you had a proven audience and so i think that is what their sort of buzz term is is proven audience if you can prove that you have an audience and they're more interested than if you're just pitching them cold sure i guess my final question to you would be for somebody who's listening to this and is super inspired because they have this creative project that they've been dying to do, mm -hmm. what would be your, your top couple of tips to, to, to doing it the right way or to getting started successfully? Um, my top tip is to cut loose all of your old ideas. I have been a person who has, I come up with ideas like daily. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And some of them are old, like 10 years old, 20 years old. And it's like, I, if I haven't done it by now, I'm not going to do it. There's something that is holding me back from doing it. And maybe you're really passionate about it. And you think, well, timing now's the right time. And it's never been the right time until now. I would say this, if for every idea you have, take it as far as you can go. And if you hit an obstacle that is insurmountable, cut it loose and move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Every project has obstacles. Like I had numerous obstacles with both of these books, um, but they weren't insurmountable. And so I think when you can tell the difference between a regular obstacle and an insurmountable obstacle, once you hit the insurmountable obstacle, you just have to sort of say goodbye, you know, 
write a little note with that idea on it and burn it or something to just say goodbye to this idea and move on to something else. I think we tend to get very um, wrapped up in our ideas, but I feel like when you hold on to one idea, it prevents you from getting another one that might be better. That's a good point. <laughs> so that, that would be my top tip, um, finding a dip, deep niche, just what we've talked about, finding a deep niche, testing the market before you put in too much time, effort, or money, um, and focusing on promotion just as much as you do on the project itself. And for cookbook writers in particular, I'm sure you would say do not skimp on the photography and the layout of the book because <laughs> it's so important. Right. I do not skimp. And I'll, you know, I, um, I couldn't afford a photographer this last time. So I took the photos myself and they look okay, like far better than I thought they would, but uh, photography is really important and I don't know that I would make that choice again so yeah don't don't skip do everything as, as big as you can as and and layer things you know a lot of the reason that I love Gilmore Girls is because it works on so many levels it's got the relationships and the wittiness and the food and the pop culture and the fashion and it's just layers 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 and <clears throat> I wanted my book to do the same thing. So if you have a project, don't, don't be happy with one or two layers. Add several different layers to it because people, the more people can sort of attach to, the more they're going to love your, your product. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate your time so much. I, I love this story. I think it's such a great story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, taking a passion project and really smartly executing it. I mean, you thank had you. some you had some things that helped you, no doubt. But I think oh, yeah. we can all look for, you said at the beginning, we can all look for opportunities um, that are out there and being smart about it. But I think that yes. the biggest takeaway is definitely the planning like, it's not just a, I'm going to write this cookbook, do it in five weeks and be done. You know, the planning that you put into it, the forethought, the, 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 the very, 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 um, you know, action oriented, who you're contacting, who you're, who you're reaching out to, the promotion, all those things are so, so important. And um, what, what is your, what's your next project? Well, we're working on one right now. It's a joint project with my husband, but it's still under wraps. I can't okay. really well, we talk won't. about it yet, but look for it soon. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Christian. <laughs> Thank you, Alexa. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.